Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 116, The Foretaste of an Afterword. As our devoted listeners know, Jenny and I have been working on our second book over the last few months, based on our Paradise Lost series on both The Christian Atheist and No Compromise podcasts. We will be including the full text of Milton's masterpiece and all our episodes from the Christian Atheist podcast. But we also want to offer some new content, including a sustained essay on one theme we regrettably could not cover in the series. That essay will be the afterword in our book. We're still casting about for a title. Today, we would like to offer a tantalizing foretaste of that afterword. Hopefully, it will get you excited to read share, and discuss the book with others. And now, the opening pages of our afterword. And now as one, hand in hand we walk our hills and our valleys, while we talk of dreams and visions, transcendent cues of love eternal, which incarnate swells, your bodily fullness within me dwells with your feet, in your socks and your shoes. Afterward, hand in hand. We were created for relationship. I wrote the words above for Jenny as the final stanza of a poem entitled Your Shoes in 2021. As we meticulously worked our way through Paradise Lost for the Christian Atheist podcast series, Jenny kept reminding me that our theme was the nature and work of evil in the world. I needed reminding. I often need reminding, as I am a highly distractible chap. In this poem, I was constantly tempted, pun intended, to turn away from the evil to the good, which I prefer. The perennial distracting good for me in Paradise Lost was the hand-in-hand theme of Adam and Eve. As this is my last chance to discuss what has been for us an amazing, epic journey, I want to share the passionate engagement that invariably drew me farther up and farther in to Milton's masterpiece. It is not until Book 4 that the hand-in-hand theme is explicitly introduced. But when God the Father addresses the Son in heaven in Book 3, the foundation is laid for all that follows. O thou in heaven and earth the only peace found out for mankind under wrath. O thou, my soul complacence, well thou knowest how dear to me are all my works, nor man the least, though last created, that for him I spare thee from my bosom and right hand to save by losing thee a while the whole race lost. In our commentaries on Books 3 and 8 of Paradise Lost, we presented the divine superlatives, one of which is relation. God is relation. Because God is relation, he is three persons in one. The paradoxical truth that unity in plurality is the being of God. Milton here lays out this foundational truth, forefiguring the ultimate sacrifice of God's unity, his very being, in the plan of salvation 
for fallen man. Salvation, in all its particulars, is somehow intrinsic to his eternal nature, not extrinsic. We can but glimpse the nature of this sacrifice. The language is important. God, quote, spares his son from his, quote, bosom and right hand to save by losing thee a while the whole race lost. We are accustomed to think of the suffering of Jesus in the cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But were we thinking clearly, we would understand that this cry is from the depths of existence itself, from the very being of the Creator, not just that of the creation. As John tells us, Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God's relation to himself is an eternal relation. His divided unity occurring in time is also outside time. How do we limited rational creatures process these truths? We don't. We accept them because they make sense of our world, whether or not we can make sense of them. They are the grounds of sense. They are facts. They are contingencies. Contingent on what? On the very being of the Creator, which means, hold on to your rationality, that they are also necessities. God's superlatives are that with which we think, and without them there is no thinking. God is reason as well as relation. Perhaps better. There is no reason that is not, at the same time, relation. Keeping these superlatives in mind, God spares his son from his right hand. The hand of man is a figure of his rational action in the world. With our hands we relate to the world, to the other than self, in a concrete manner. With touch we relate to others like us, establish intimacy, connection, unity, it is no mistake that the genius of Michelangelo's creation of Adam, which we use as our logo for the Christian atheist, is one of the most powerful images in the history of art. Nor is it a mistake that it is God the Father's right hand and index finger that touches Adam, imparting God's very image into man. The divine reaching out, in both creation and redemption, is God's being as relation, and proper relation is unity with and in God. Milton indexes all of this in preparation for our theme. Quote, so they passed naked on, nor shunned the sight of God or angel, for they thought no ill. So hand in hand they passed the loveliest pair that ever since in love's embraces met. Adam, the goodliest man of men since born, his sons. The fairest of her daughters, Eve. Though mentioned previously, it is here in Book 4 where we first meet Adam and Eve in Paradise Lost. And again, it is no mistake that we meet them first unfallen, hand in hand. Notable, too, that we are seeing them first through the eyes of Satan, 
having transgressed the boundaries of hell and creation, and overleaping the protective walls of the garden. He sits in the tree of life, contemplating, quote, like a cormorant, yet not true life thereby gained, but sat devising death to them who live, nor on the virtue of that life-giving plant, but only used for prospect, what well used had been the pledge of immortality. So little knows any but God alone to value right the good before him, but perverts best things to worst abuse or to their meanest use. All goodness, this passage teaches us, depends upon proper relation to everything else. Evil, as we've seen so often in our study of Paradise Lost, has its effects by perverting and inverting the good, by twisting proper relation. Satan sits in the tree of life, quote, devising death, a living contradiction. How does he accomplish his designs? By improperly relating means to ends, as the final four lines of this quote explain. It is God's being as relation that established the pattern of relation in which the good persists. Evil twists the perfect pattern, and in twisting produces bad. It is, Milton proclaims, God alone who knows the good, for he is the good. In this, we must trust fundamental faith. The object of our faith necessarily transcends our understanding, our rational capacities, and thus no reason is given for the one demand of unfallen man in the garden. Quote, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, end quote, other than its effect on the transgressor. Quote, you will certainly die. While the full complex pattern of goodness is beyond us, as it will always be for finite creatures, we can only rest in and act on the pattern as it is revealed to us, or we will face the consequences. What is it that is revealed to the evil consciousness of Satan as he takes in the panorama of the garden from the tree of life? Quote, Beneath him, with new wonder now he views, to all delight of human sense exposed. In narrow room nature's whole wealth, yea more, a heaven on earth. Books 4 and 5 are brilliant, large-scale inversions that display an unmatched genius in the poet's plan for this epic. The garden is here styled a heaven on earth, and amidst this unparalleled perfection of beauty and goodness, the seed of its destruction sits in the tree of life, contemplating death. Book 5 mirrors this tableau. but follows it, even though preceding it in time. In heaven, Satan's rebellion begins in his mind, quote, its own place, a walled garden of evil amidst the glories of heaven itself. 
Thus, Milton plays with the rational category of cause and effect and temporal succession. Satan in the Garden of Eden, in Book 4, foreshadows Satan in Heaven, in Book 5. In both cases, evil is out of place. Contradictory. In violation of the order of perfection. Evil is the failure to be in proper relation to what is true, right, beautiful, to God. The poet also denies the dynamism of evil, displaying it as universally reactive to the true dynamism of God in creation. Evil is static, neither novel nor creative, but merely disruptive transgressive of the ever-dynamic action of God's perfect order. In Book 5, Satan assaults Heaven's Lord. In Book 4, he plots his assault on the sovereigns of the ordered creation. From all of nature's goodness, his first view of man reveals a unique and higher dignity. Quote, Two, of far nobler shape, erect and tall, Godlike erect, with native honor clad in naked majesty, seemed lords of all, and worthy seemed. For in their looks divine the image of their glorious Maker shone, truth, wisdom, sanctitude severe and pure. Severe, but in true filial freedom placed, whence true authority in men. Though both not equal, as their sex not equal seemed. It is because man is here the pinnacle of creation, twin sovereigns over all the earth, that Satan must destroy them. For he sets himself against all properly ordered relation. And note wherein their nobility, their honor, majesty, wisdom, and worthiness to rule resides in their relationship to the divine, his image in them. And what is the sign of this proper relation? A, quote, sanctitude severe and pure. Sanctity is holiness, and holiness is the very character of God, self-bounded infinity. Now we must pay careful attention here to what is being said. In the characters of Adam and Eve, Satan discovers a severe and pure holiness. Milton is nothing if not a careful wordsmith, and these descriptors are cannonades, not isolated rifle shots. Severe connotes an uncompromising and radical adherence to the boundaries in question, and pure, the absence of admixture, the absence of shading, the presence of a single substance only, spotless and without flaw. The parenthetical in this passage repeats and thus emphasizes the severity of disposition in our unfallen progenitors, while contrasting the paradoxical and alliterative filial freedom through which it operates. Why filial here? because it emphasizes the relation to the Creator, the duty owed, which, though owed, 
is freely given to God. This freedom, too, reflects the image of the Creator in His most exalted of creations. As in heaven, so on earth. From this severe adherence to God's law, His character in revelation and creation flows, quote, true authority in men. While the proper relation is maintained, so also is our dignity, our honor, our lordship over both creation and ourselves. All depends upon proper relation. The maintenance of the order established in the divine structure. One final comment is necessary on this passage. The sexes are different, and, as implied by this severe and pure metaphor, one yet distinct and related, reflecting God's own unity in self-relation. I am a Christian, with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.